Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning with Dr. Samantha Cotrera podcast. Many of you know that I started this podcast as a way to share academic conference presentations, and I expanded this work in spring of 2020 in order to bring you the audio versions of the pandemic pedagogy conversations I've been hosting on my YouTube channel, Imagining a New We. For this upcoming school year, I'm going to be bringing you a second series that I'm hosting on YouTube called Source Saturday, where I talk with historians and creators and archivists about primary and secondary sources that they have familiarity with and to talk about what they read from them. Although the series does work better as a video because we screen share the sources we discuss it, there are many interesting elements of our conversation that do, that do work as a podcast, but I do urge you to check out the YouTube video so you can see the source for yourself. Like the Pandemic Pedagogy series, these podcast episodes are unedited conversations, so you may hear buffering or the repetition of a question or an answer if Zoom wasn't working that great, but the content remains fundamentally the same as the video. Enjoy this version of Source Saturday. Hi everyone, Dr. Samantha Cotrera here for the Imagining a New We video blog, a video series designed to help history teachers and other history educators teach history in ways that are more meaningful, transformative, and inclusive for their students. Uh, this is a Source Saturday video series within a series. Today, I am talking with people related to comic books. Uh, the idea of Source Saturday was to introduce um, teachers and other educators to primary and secondary sources that can challenge the ways we normally teach particular time periods. And what I'm doing with this series of videos is I am talking with people related to comic books about how we can bring things like imagination, magic realism, Afrofuturism to our study of history. I've talked to people that are in the process of creating graphic novels, people that have published things as independent uh, artists and writers, people who are uh, Eisner Award nominated graphic novelists. I've talked with professors. I've talked to people interested in digital humanities. I've talked to so many people and the series is so wonderful. Watch them one by one or listen to them one on one or um, watch them independently. But together they really demonstrate the richness of teaching and learning history when we bring in space for art and imagination and interpretation. So enjoy these conversations. In this video, we are talking with Eisner Award nominee cartoonist Scott Chandler. If you know the comic book scene, especially in Canada, Scott Chandler's name is probably not unfamiliar to you. He's amazing. He's funny. He does the like a lot of the different like book events and things like that. So he's really kind of out there and an all around nice guy. If you're a teacher that doesn't know a lot about comic books and graphic novels, you might remember that he has done Two Generals, which is a really popular book used in a lot of schools across Canada. But we are talking today about his new book called Bix, which is about legendary jazz musician from the 1920s. This is not a Canadian history per se, but because they are because the book is about the um, uh, the 1920s jazz scene, this book has such great, beautiful illustrations. Like Scott just does such a great job of like bringing up so much humanity in his drawings that it is a wonderful resource to be able to bring 
bring into your classroom to learn about the 1920s, the learn about this jazz musician and also like the trials and tribulations of his life. So anyway, I can't wait to talk to Scott about this new book. Let's go over to Zoom. Scott, thank you so much for agreeing to speak to me. I'm so excited to be able to talk about your new book that came out this summer and um, and just like all around how wonderful and evocative your art is for using to learn history. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. Well, thank you. You're, you're very kind. <laughs> well, I try. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, it is also it is also very genuine. I've been a big fan of your work for a while. Um, do you want to introduce yourself before we get started? Sure. My name is Scott Chandler. I'm a Canadian cartoonist. I've been doing comic books and graphic novels for, gosh, about 17 years now, I guess. Um, if you're Canadian, you probably know me best for this book, Two Generals, which is taught in high schools and universities all over the country. Um, and uh, yeah, this is my first kind of visit Bix, which we'll be talking about today, which you just held up, but I'm also going to hold up because you can't yeah. hold up the book enough times, really. No, you can't. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, yeah, there it is again. See, yeah. it's just going to keep coming them. back. They're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> this is really my first um, historical-based book since Two Generals. It's been about a decade. It took that long for me to want to go back <laughs> to something that involved that much research. Um, but uh, yeah, it was kind of good to be back to uh, some uh, historical based stuff. Well, um, maybe I am forgetting this and I should know it, but I know Two Generals was based on your family, but Bix you don't have a personal connection to, correct? No, I mean, other than just uh, being a fan. Right, right. <laughs> you know, no, yeah, no, no actual family connections or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of Two Generals, um, and that's how we met. Originally, you came and did a workshop and a bit of a keynote for um, a day that I had at the Archives of Ontario. And so, yeah, it's really exciting to talk about Bix, which will just stay here, yes. along with Two yeah, Generals. There. Yeah, for our talk. it's yeah. on screen. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's good. <laughs> it's there. It's there. It's <laughs> casual. That's where I leave yes. all my books. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that visit to the archives, by the way. That was one of my favorite uh, author visits I've done anywhere. It's such oh, an interesting, awesome. yeah, such an interesting uh, environment there and, uh, and really interested crowd and all that stuff. So yeah, that was a, that was a memorable one. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, it was a really great day because there was a mix of teachers that had used the book without like your intervention and then teachers who hadn't been introduced to the book. So to be able to right. have you talk to like those groups and then also be able to like foreground the archival pieces that as, as part of it. I, yeah. I also thought it was just such a great event and it was awesome to bring you in. Cool. Yeah. Well, so we're doing it virtually. This will be your best virtual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we this is what we get in in these times. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it could be worse. Yeah. I mean, let's be. not imagine it, but it probably could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, so why don't you tell us about Bix? What is Bix about just in general? All right. Well, I'm going to share screens with you. Let's do so it. I can show you uh where is my PDF? There it is. Share. Look, there's Vic Spiderbeck himself. Yay! Uh, 
Yeah. So the book is about Big Spiderbeck, who was a um, jazz cornet player and pianist in the 1920s. He was really the first white jazz musician to really, you know, contribute much to the development of the of that genre. Um, and he, uh, yeah, was uh, he, he was a character. He was in and out of trouble during his uh, brief life, and uh, died died very young due to just yeah horrible rampant alcoholism, which you know at the times it was the prohibition era, and uh, you know I know this is for history students who may uh, you know eventually be looking at that, but. Prohibition was a law in the U.S. that had the exact opposite effect of what it was intended to have, <laughs> in which, you know, because drinking was illegal, everyone ended up drinking just a lot more than they should have to uh, uh, buck what they saw as, a, as an unfair law. So, uh, yeah, um, it was no coincidence that jazz really developed during that Prohibition era because speakeasies were a big thing and every speakeasy had to have a house band and, um, yeah, the, the history of prohibition and early jazz are very intertwined, but also, as you can imagine, led to a lot of uh, self-destruction on the part of uh, some of those artists. So, uh, yeah, that's um, that's you know, in a nutshell, what the book is about is uh, is about this very brief life during a very turbulent time. And so, why Bix of all the jazz musicians? Well. <clears throat> Bix is an interesting character um, because he was, um, you know, a bit of an outsider. It's weird to think of like a, you know, middle-class white guy from Iowa as being an outsider in anything. Uh, but in the, you know, in the world of jazz at the time it was very much a, um, you know, very much a black music coming up out of New Orleans at the time it was brand new. Um, and uh, yeah, white people were just hearing it for the first time. Maybe just, you know, maybe that was their first kind of narrow glimpse into a, a you know, more African-American world. And some of them were horrified by it. Some of them were enthralled by it as Bix was. And, um, you know, like a lot of white musicians that would follow in his wake, he wanted to be a part of it. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, we, we get into um, questions of sort of cultural appropriation and stuff at this point is, you, you know, how, how much of them being involved with it is too much, how much is getting involved in the wrong way, how much, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's another interesting thing about having released this book at this time, uh, which has, uh, you know, made me think a lot about those issues, which I also thought a lot about while I was making the book. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, you know, Bix is an outsider in a lot of ways. He just, you know, there was nothing in his life that suggested this guy's going to become a, a jazz musician. You know, he just, he did not tick any of the boxes. Um, <laughs> you know, cultur right. cult culturally, geographically, uh, you know, politically, anything. So, um, yeah, I, I like that. And I think a lot of artists um, can relate to Bix. You know, I think 
a lot of the origins of the book and why I picked Bix um, is for that outsider quality, which a lot of artists kind of feel. Um, <clears throat> you know, that there is a rebellious quality to most artists or, you know, we'd all be, uh, you know, I don't know, Wall Street uh, traders or something. <laughs> you know, I, I think every artist feels a little bit like they- I uh, like that that's the extreme, artist or Wall Street right. trader. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was just trying to, <laughs> trying to think of the exact opposite and that's yeah. what I came up with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I would go with with, with like a banker too. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. My dad worked in a bank, and he I don't think he likes it when I uh, use banker as an example oh. <laughs> of a like, stuffed shirt. But uh, what are you gonna do? You know, one of the things that I really love about your artwork um, in your historical work, um, and I don't know if you remember, because I, I would have told you this when we met at the archives almost 10 years ago or whatever, but because I read your, yep. um, your stuff about uh, like Detroit Motown as well, because I'm a big fan of that okay. era. So one of the things right. I really love about your artwork is that there is an element that seems very familiar. So like, when you look at the artwork, like I feel like a young person, for example, can see themselves in that. But then there's also this really interesting attention to detail so that you know it's historically, like it's a different historic period. Like I love the way it kind of goes back and forth like that. What were elements of the art that you really wanted to bring in here, especially related to like the time period and his life that you wanted to bring into this particular reading of his life? Or I guess it's not reading this particular viewing of his life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like I what mean, do you read? Like do you, is, do you read I, I a wordless graphic novel? Well, yeah, I mean, we're getting, we're, we're getting <laughs> pretty a bigger question. <laughs> theoretically here about yeah. the form but uh i i think of it as reading like I, okay that's fine like I, I i think very much with comics you sort of read the pictures um, right yes but yeah but that's you, i also you know, who knows? I was, so, I was someone talking, else might describe it some other way and also be perfectly accurate so um, i yeah. uh, was talking to a hip-hop musician um a hip-hop historian and i was like so this hip-hop song and i'm like that's that sounds very wrong, but right. also right. So it's also kind of right. a similar moment. Yeah. Well, yeah, it kind of shows how uh, unspecific language can be sometimes yeah. in trying to describe what art does. Like writing yeah. about art, I, I think must be very difficult if you're a critic or an academic or, or whatever, because uh, you, you know, as rich and varied as the English language is, art is so specific and so, but at the same time, so kind of ephemeral. Mm -hmm. that, uh, I don't know how you sometimes pin it down in words. And we just, we just tripped over one example of that right, right there. Um, but so back, to, back to the book yeah. itself. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I, I always try to, um, I mean, I, I, I like an art style, obviously, that is very kind of simple and clean and easy to look at and therefore easy to quote unquote read. Um, but also, as you said, I, I, I kind of like enough detail in there for it to seem very specific at the same time. And so, you know, when I'm doing historical stuff, it's, uh, you know, I, I try not to beat the reader over the head with the time period. I mean, you, you see a lot of art that does that. 
but you just have to be specific. You know, if a guy walks into a room and there's a lamp on the desk, it's got to be, it's got to be a period lamp and a period desk. And you know, it doesn't have to be front and center, but it's got to, it's got to feel right. It's got to be convincing or the whole thing just falls apart. Um, with Bix, I also didn't want to hit people over the head with the time period too much because I, I wanted to be clear that it's kind of a, a story that could have happened in any time period, that this is mm -hmm. just, you know, often the way artists live, often the way artists self-destruct. We've seen a lot of other examples just in music of, you know, doomed musicians uh, like Bix. Um, but something else the artist, the art is doing, and I'm going to share screens with you again here. Great. Actually, I'm going to flip, I'm going to flip to the pages I want, and then I'm going to share screens. Um, We're so tech savvy. Oh, aren't we good? We're the oh, best. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Did I do it? Are we sharing? No. We're not sharing. Okay. All right. Maybe not that tech savvy. I did put you. Oh, up I in was the being corner, facetious. Though. So. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> share this and share. There we go. Now we're sharing. Great. Something, something so else that the art does uh, that I really wanted to. Um, I really wanted to, as much as I could, describe music and the making of music and the feeling of music through the comics form. Because in comics, you're replacing all the other senses with the visual. Mm -hmm. And the, the traditional for shorthand for comics and music is to have a guy tooting a horn and having a couple of little musical notes coming out the end of it. And I just, I wanted to do something a little more sophisticated than that. So, um, I mean, mostly what the book does is that, you know, as you see here, when it's kind of normal, boring, everyday life, you know, back home in Iowa or wherever, here he's at, uh, here he's at his uh, uh, boarding school, he, uh, you know, it's, the book is laid out in these strips, five panels per page, each panel the same size and shape, and, you know, it has a very kind of staccato, you know, boring rhythm to it, as life sometimes does. When he discovers classical music, um, he was taught the piano as a very small child and was a, a bit of a, uh, a prodigy with that. The, those panels start to bounce up and down like musical notes. So that's how classical music is represented in my book. When he gets into jazz, as you know, in his late teens, um, the panels just start to go all over the place. This is a two-page spread from uh, somewhere in the middle of the book where he uh, uh, plays with Louis Armstrong in an after-hours uh, jam session. Um, you know, behind locked doors, of course, because it's the era of segregation. And then <clears throat> eventually, at his height, Bix sort of combines European classical music and American jazz into this hybrid in a really cool and astonishing composition called In a Mist. And so this is as complicated as the book gets right here, where the classical music um, structure is laid over a jazz structure. And so, yeah, I'm really trying to use the, the form of comics to visually represent the musical sounds that we're hearing or not hearing, as the case may be. Did you have, um, <laughs> do you have a recommended soundtrack? Like, uh of songs that you 
would recommend people like listen to while reading certain pages? Yeah, you know, I really don't. And I avoided doing that. Um, just because I wanted the, um, I wanted the story to feel very universal. I was talking earlier about how all artists kind of feel this way. And, you know, a lot of people in general kind of feel this way, um, you know, about, you know, maybe being, you know, out of their place and time and, and, uh, you know, having to, uh, fight all these kind of cultural things to do what they want to do. And, um, yeah, so because I wanted to have that kind of timeless universal feel, I didn't want to tie it to Bix's music specifically. Like when you're reading the book, I just want it to be clear that he's doing something creative and, and a little different. And, uh, and it doesn't really matter what it is specifically. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I kind of avoided putting like a, you know, a little, you know, Spotify playlist or something in the back that you could <laughs> check out or something. You know, I, I, I thought about it briefly, but uh, then I thought, now nah, that, that makes it a little too specific. But I do hope people will be tempted to go out and, and check out Vix's music, which is, um, you know, it's like 100 years old now, nearly. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. his, his recordings and, 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 you know, music from that time might seem a little alien to most people's ears, but, um, uh, you know, you can certainly kind of, you know, train yourself a little bit to hear it. And, and if you can hear it in context, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting and, and creative and personal music that he was making. Well, it's also, so, yeah, check it, check it out. Go, go, go search up some Vic Spiderbeck. But uh, yeah, there's no, there's no specific list. There's a few song titles in the book that you can check out, which are the, are the real important ones. But uh, yeah, go just go to wherever you stream music and pull up Bix and, uh, and listen to a bit for sure. Well, it's an interesting assignment or an activity to do that because I hadn't heard of Bix before your graphic novel. And so I had listened to some of his music in anticipation of it coming out. And it was really interesting. And to think of like putting together, a like being inspired by reading it and putting together a playlist of this time period is kind of an interesting activity for students too, because then they can, uh, they can uh, use this material and use other material to be able to kind of come up with this sound landscape of the 1920s. And uh, like, I think music was such a key element of so many things that we used to learn about the 1920s. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was an amazing time for, for culture in general, really. Yeah. There, was a, there was a lot going on in the 20s. Well, it was, uh, I mean, I guess that's what's going to happen to us next because, because they had a pandemic and then all of this yeah. rich culture <laughs> happened. Right. Yes. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed that it goes that way and not, not some other horrible, horrible way. But that's, you know, come up a lot. I think you're breaking up a I think you're you're breaking up a little bit. Okay. I can barely. I can, yeah. Okay. I think it might have improved just a little there. Yeah. I was. Uh, I was having trouble. You were you were frozen for a bit, and I was having a little trouble getting your uh, getting your audio there for a bit. Okay. Are you okay now? Are we back? Yeah, that seems to be a little. It's okay. still telling me your bandwidth is low, but I, my I can, bandwidth I can definitely is low. Still hear you better. Fine. That's what it's telling me. <laughs> Dumb. So judgy. <laughs> because I mean, you're yeah. you're buffering a little, but generally you're fine. Otherwise, I would have gotten you to re-record something. Gotcha. Okay. Are you okay? 
Ready? We'll try again? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think we're better. Yeah, sure. Okay. So that's come up a lot, actually, when we've talked about history teaching during the pandemic that like, for me, for example, I'm rethinking the roaring 20s in a different way because of the experience of understanding the Spanish flu differently than I would have before. Are there elements of this book right. that you are thinking about differently because of this time period? You, 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 in your, um, when you're introducing it, you kind of suggested like you're thinking about like the Black Lives Matter, cultural appropriation a little bit differently. Any other things that you're pulling from this period that are kind of surprises? Um, I w yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. I mean, the book doesn't really get into Spanish flu or, or I mean, there's a little bit of First World War stuff because his older brother came home from the war uh, with, with a record player and the first jazz recording coincidentally enough. And, uh, and that was what first got Bix hooked, but you know, we don't really address, you know, the war or its aftermath at all, but it really is that, um, sort of, um, you know, racial stuff, which is all throughout the book. Mm -hmm. But, uh, th this th Bix was released in April and then all the George Floyd stuff, the black lives matter stuff really erupted in the States in in May. And, um, you know, I just felt so, I don't know, it was a, it was a bad time to be releasing a book anyway, because all the bookstores were closed and all right. the pandemic stuff was going on. But then suddenly in May, I'm out there hawking a book about a white jazz musician. And, um, you know, the, the book addresses a lot of that stuff, but you, you know, or at least touches on it, but you've got to at least get people to read it. And, um, yeah, so yeah, it's 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 a weird time to be bringing this book out. <laughs> it's I think it's I think it's a bit of a tough sell, but uh, I hope people will read it because it does um, it does at least touch on the idea of Vix's privilege and uh, and and you know all that stuff that we're all so keenly aware of now. But mm -hmm. you really, yeah, when you know when when it comes to the twenties and and my thinking during the book and my thinking since, it's mostly it's mostly about race and, mm -hmm. and Bix's relationship to, um, yeah, to, to the music he was making and the, and, uh, and the, the culture it came from. It's, mm -hmm. it's interesting. Where does, where does, you know, where does tribute and influence and inspiration stop and, um, and appropriation begin? I mean, it's a, it's an interesting question. I, I don't mm -hmm. know that I know the answer. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure Bix was on the correct side of it. I mean, if, if Louis Armstrong was cool with Bix, there's no reason why you and I shouldn't have been. <laughs> but like I say, a lot, a lot of the white, uh, a lot of the white musicians that uh, came along after Bix were maybe not quite so as, uh, you know, reverent and, and uh, you know, w willing to respect the, the source. Well, I mean, one of the things I was talking to with um, the hip hop historian, as I had mentioned, um, and I'll link to that video, is that there's like a hip hop culture that mm -hmm. that like speaks back to dominant structures and that is raced. But if you are part of that culture and you're speaking back, you don't need to right. be raced in that certain way. And I think that 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 comes from a long tradition of this type of music that is meant to be a, 
um, that is meant to call back or to push back um, to a to a society that isn't providing space for these different types of cultural expression and experiences. And that's right. why I think this is an interesting book to also be able to have those conversations about like sure. a history of, of cultural appropriation, but how it's not, it's not always the case. Like I talked to, sure. I would talk about this related to 1950s music um, a lot of the times. And, you know, for that was like radio sales. And so it really was just appropriation because I just wanted the, the, the radio sales. But when you're in a speakeasy and you're, you know, you know, doing, you're doing jazz in this like basement or, you know, all these different things, yeah. it's, it's kind of different. It's like, well, you know, it, it's about uh, like, where's the money going? And if there's not a lot of money, right. then, you right. know, you can see more about the art. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, very, very interesting. I, I hope, I hope the book will spark some conversations yeah. of that type. And I, and I hope it won't just put people off. Cause I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a lot of answers in there, but there might be a lot of conversation starters in there. So um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that'll be the case and hopefully people will discover it for that purpose. So how do you think a teacher could use a book like this in their classroom to help challenge how we normally talk about the 1920s? Because I, th I feel like we're, we're talking about that a little bit now, but maybe you can be a little bit more specific in how you think that this can challenge uh, how we understand this period. Well, that's a really good question. Um, I, I always find it really, like with two generals, for instance, as I said at the beginning, you know, it's a book that's been very popular in schools at the high school and post-secondary level. And I'm always amazed at the variety of ways in which teachers use it. I, I don't think I would deign to, you know, suggest anything when, you know, I've seen how creative teachers can be and, uh, and uh, you know, how many great ideas they have. Uh, the, the, the first school board to adopt two generals was the uh, Thames Valley Board. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, uh, you know, I was able to come in one time and see how all the teachers were using it. They, they kind of presented to me, uh, you know, the, the different kind of lessons they were using the book for. And man, it was, they, I mean, they were using the book in English, they were using it in history, they were using it in art, and in, and in all completely different ways. So I, like, I really, your question is such a big question, like, and, and, and I don't even know. I mean, I'm not a professional educator, clearly. And, uh, you know, these, these people who are, they like know their stuff and they have ideas and big ideas know, and creative right? ideas. And, and yeah, like, yeah, teachers are amazing to me. Well, I mean, so, I thought that was, I thought that was a, a softball question because I See, actually, I thought it was a really hard one. <laughs> sorry about that because one of the things that I think that we can do use to challenge um, how we teach history with something like this is when we talk about the Roaring Twenties, we often talk about it in these really glamorous ways, right? And Well, that's true. There's the kind of Great Gatsby kind of uh, martini glass and tuxedo sort of uh, vibe that the the 20s suggest to people and that you know that stuff is in my book too um, but you know you also get to see what happens after the show where you know everybody's you know drunk and hallucinating <laughs> right like you can yeah, see exactly. that more seedy yeah. side and also yeah um 
I'm trying to find the pages. I should have marked them better, but I didn't want to like mark up the book. But also like that mix between like high art and low art that because he was white, he was able to do. Like, again, we think so often about the 1920s and like this little cultural period of like fun, gorgeous, speakeasies. And I'm like thinking in particular about like women's makeup being like perfect. (laughs) But there was alcohol and there were drugs and there was a a blend of high art and low art that some people were able to access that not others. And so I thought it was a lowball question because like we've talked about these things in this conversation and that's why it's such a cool book to be able to kind of like bring up to talk about those things. So sorry yeah, to I mean, threw you off. Well, no, hey, no, hey, it's all right. It's, uh, it gave me an excuse to compliment teachers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, and like, like I know the stuff that teachers have done with two generals is amazing. And that's why I think yeah. that they can do such amazing stuff with this as well, just even in talking about the, you know, the way that you structure the different panels. And, you know, I, I was going to use this question to wrap up, but one of the things I was talking to, talking about with um, the group of seven guys, Chris Sanigan and Jason Lapetus is about, or Jason in particular, the artist, about how did it feel to draw somebody that was a real person and not like a character. And so maybe right. as a way to like, kind of conclude our conversation, I always like to get, I always like to uh, suggest teachers bring in art in teaching history, which is another (laughs) challenge to that. But like, maybe you could provide some like suggestions of like how it felt or reflections of how it felt to draw somebody that was a real person and that you wouldn't have been able to like see his body and all the different motions you drew him in. Like, are there pieces of advice you could give to teachers to give to students about maybe engaging in this work as an assignment, like to create their own graphic novel about this period, for example? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've had two different experiences with that in that um, the book about my grandfather, I did two generals. Um, I, I knew the man. I, you know, right. I, I, I knew my, I knew my grandfather well until I was about 25 and um it wasn't that difficult for me to imagine him at the age of 30. Right. Um, And so, you know, I I went with old photographs and just my own experience of the man himself. With Bix, that gets a little tricky because, um, you know, there there are some old photographs. I showed you one. There are even a couple of pieces of uh, film that exist of Bix, not not many, and just just a few seconds here and there. Um, so with Bix, I'm, uh, you know, there's a lot of frog DNA in with that dinosaur DNA, uh, to use my Jurassic Park. No, it's Dino DNA. (laughs) Dino DNA. Um, (laughs) hopefully, hopefully the kids will have seen Jurassic Park and they'll know what we're talking about. Um, but I, I, I've had to put a lot of myself into Bix. Uh, you know, I said earlier that I, I relate a lot to Bix. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of artists would, and I think a lot of people would. Um, so there's a lot more of me in Bix than there is of me and my grandfather and two generals, for instance. Mm, you know, it, it had to be, it had to be a little bit more just my feeling of who Bix was. And that's really up in the air, by the way, I touch on this a bit in the introduction to the book, but there is, um, 
you know, there, there are, you know, as with anything in history, people have their specialties and there are certainly historians out there who are very, um, you know, into Bix and researching Bix and, 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 you know, picking his story apart and finding all the little bits and pieces and nooks and crannies in it and stuff. And, and they all have their opinion of who Bix was. And, um, you know, you've got to negotiate all of that. And, the, you know, the, there's a few biographies about him, which really informed my book. And they each have their own take. And as with anything, when you're doing history, you've got to decide kind of who was right, you know, if, if, if two sources disagree. And so that, that really shapes your telling of the story and your interpretation of the character. And at every point, it is you making the decision. So, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to get away from the fact that this is just your take on, on the character. So, yeah, I, I tried to really steer right into that and just, mm. you know, be very, be very clear that this is a kind of a universal story I'm telling about artists and about myself and, uh, and uh, you know, Bix's experience surely must have been something close to it. So there was a lot more, yeah, there was a, there was a lot more educated guesswork, but guesswork for sure. And just kind of flying by instinct when it came to Bix. You know, I know you're talking about illustration, but I think that's actually the case for most histories that we write or draw um, or speak. And I think that's a really kind of interesting way to think about your, to think about our work in doing this and your work in particular with this um, this piece of work because it when you bring yourself into it you are able to come up with nuances of a character that there right. there are no records for right and so right. yeah and so again that's one of the reasons why I love your artwork because I think it brings so much emotion yeah. in just in drawing of a face that you wouldn't get necessarily from you know archival records that are out there i was really glad that i'd done two generals first mm -hmm. when i did bix because working on two generals really convinced me like you say that there is really not any kind of objective history per se no. you know you can nail down you can you can nail down you know things like dates and stuff but you know um you know, the, the, the truth of what actually did or didn't happen is very much open to interpretation. And having gone through the experience of research and creating two generals really, um, you know, taught me that with Bix, you know, I don't necessarily have to obsess over facts, you know, mm -hmm. that, 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 that a more subjective truth is, um, is the thing to shoot for you know, just, just to, to figure out what my interpretation is and do that. And you make a good point that with, with comics, you, you have to depict the thing. You, you, you can't just say Bix walked into the theater. You have to decide what Bix is wearing and his, you, you know, what his, you know, physical expression is that day mm -hmm. and what the, what the theater looked like in the state it was in and whether he was hung over or not. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of decisions to make when you're depicting the scene. It, you know, it, it becomes more like directing a movie where you've got, you know, all these thousands of decisions to make on every page. And, and they, all, they all speak to story and they can all speak to history or not. And you, you have to decide which details are the correct ones. And if you're making up details, you have to decide which ones are 
are, are the most convincing and possibly the most accurate or uh, yeah, what you're going to use and what you're not. And uh, yeah, it's complicated business doing a book like this. That's mm -hmm. why I took a decade between, between two <laughs> generals and Bix. <laughs> well, I had to it forget. Was it was worth I had to forget it. how much work it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was worth it. The book is beautiful. I learned so much from it. I was, you know, I mean, even just like knowing who Bix is and um, yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to talk about it and, and thinking about thinking about history generally and how it can be drawn. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and so we will connect maybe in the future on your next project. Hopefully it won't be 10 years. Um, yeah. because since we're done our pandemic, there'll be this big cultural revolution and you will be right in the middle of it. <laughs> yes, we can hope. We yeah. can hope. <laughs> All right. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Samantha. Bye. Bye-bye.